Good morning, Bethel. How's everyone this morning? Man, I'm so glad to see you guys on this Labor Day weekend. Hope you all uh, have a nice, re enjoyable, relaxing uh, Labor Day and enjoy the time that we can celebrate the fact that God gives us this opportunity to be able to work. That's what man was designed to do was to, to work and um, we can uh, take comfort in that knowing that we have been given the opportunity to be able to provide, that God gives us the ability to work and provide for our families. We are um, in week four of our three circles, and we're going to dig into that just a little bit. But let me ask you all, you know, one of the, I'm not a huge reality TV show, but one of the ones that really kind of caught my attention when it came out several years ago was the show Hoarders. Anybody ever watch that show? A few of you. It's on cable, cable TV. And the premise behind the show is, is they have these people that go into this house that's just stacked full of, of stuff. Um, there's just stuff from floor to ceiling to the point where you can't even move through the house. And it, it's, it, the, it's something tragically fascinating, I think is the best way to say it. And you go into someone's home and they're up to their eyeballs in broken tennis rackets empty gerbil cages, Encyclopedia Britannicas that have never been read and will never be read. And what they do is, a part of the show, is they kind of stage an intervention where they come in and they bring two people in. They have one who is the organizer. They deal with the what. They basically, you know, gut the house, get all of the stuff out of the house. And they bring in another person, a psychologist, that deals with the why, what makes them compulsively collect all of that stuff. And you need both people because there's no use dealing with the what if you do not get to the why. It's just they'll rinse and repeat. How does this happen? How do we get to this point? And I would say that all of us have a little bit of a hoarder inside of us. I think that's just part of the, uh, the way America is designed at this point with the consumeristic mentality that we are driven with. We're going to deal with that today. You know, we, the last three weeks we've kind of walked through God's design, brokenness, and then last week Jay and Bill did an excellent job explaining the gospel. So the next three weeks, we want to get very practical with it and kind of talk you through how these different subjects of today with finances and the next week with marriage and sexuality, then week three with parenting, how those things and every aspect of life, you can walk through these three circles and how the gospel speaks to all of them. So just a little quick, quick recap. God has a design for our lives. Scripture talks about God's design, and when we move away from that design, we do that through sin. When we move away from God's design in sin, it brings about brokenness in our life, and we see that we try to get ourselves by ourselves out of that brokenness. That's all of those squiggly lines. We do that in many, many different ways, trying to get ourselves out of that brokenness, but we know the only way out of that brokenness is by repenting and believing the gospel. That's the only way out. And once we believe the gospel, we can recover and pursue God's design. We do that over and over and over again. So part of why we're going through this series in our small group is so that you can learn the three circles and how to apply it to your life because this is something you will think through for the rest of your life. How does this situation that I'm in, 
How can I apply that through the three circles with the gospel? Not only that, we want you to be able to have everyday conversations, turn them into gospel conversations. So, you know, as we, we think through this, when it comes to the Bible, the Bible speaks a lot about contentment. Contentment of our hearts. It's God's design for our hearts to be content in him. Philippians 4.11 says, Paul is saying here, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He's saying, whatever situation I find myself in, being bitten by a viper, shipwrecked, being thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, all of these things that probably none of us have experienced, I'm going to be content. I want to be content with where God has me. What happens when our hearts become discontent? What happens when we stray from God's design and we become discontent in our sin? It leads to the brokenness that we will look at today. You know, the hoarders show demonstrates that greed is not ultimately about possessions. It's about the brokenness when we abandon God's design. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 this morning, taking a look at this passage. And it says in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now let's stop there for just a moment. Scholars say this was a common problem in Jerusalem during this time in first century Judaism. Older brothers had figured out a way to manipulate the law to cheat younger brothers out of their inheritance. This was a common problem. This is probably what Jesus, this, this question that Jesus is facing now. This is probably a younger brother that's been, that's been completely robbed of his inheritance. And Jesus says, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What was Jesus warning about here? Really greed. Greed is what he's looking at. He's saying watch out, be on guard against all covetousness. You know, you know when Jesus is preaching in this passage, he's preaching you know, this message to, I would say, both brothers, not just the younger brother. You would have thought that Jesus would have said, get your older manipulating brother over here and let me teach him a lesson. That's not what he says. But Jesus preaches to the younger brother also. In fact, in verse 15, he seems to indicate that it's to both of them. You see the word, it says them. I'm not going to jump in the middle of this matter is what Jesus is saying. Both of you have a common problem. Both of you have an issue. And Jesus' assumption here is that all people, both religious and irreligious, those that are living justly and unjustly, have this problem of greed, and most don't know it. You know, I find it interesting in this passage that Jesus uses, uses a kind of language here that he does not use with any other kind of sin. He says, watch out, be on guard. He doesn't use that with adultery. Why? Because you know 
when you're committing adultery. You know that. It's hard to commit adultery and not know it. But it's very easy for your heart to be greedy and not know it. It's very easy to be succumb to that and not realize it. So Jesus tells us to watch out. Watch out. Be on guard against it. It's possible to live clean, to be a good person, to do everything right, but yet at the same time be consumed with greed, just like these brothers were here. So before we look at the parable that Jesus is going to give them here in a few minutes, let's each start with working through these three circles. God's design is for us to be content in him, knowing that God is in control of our lives and God is the giver and the taker. We are to find our contentment in him and what he has done for us. We see this to be true all over America. We see that the discontentment, the sin there, what brokenness does that lead us to in America? Americans make more than four times as much as the average person anywhere else in the world. But we spend 98% of that on ourselves. We spend more money eating out than we do giving to charity or the church. More money on our pets than we do helping the poor. And it's not because we're in a tough spot. Get this now. I saw this the day. Americans give less to charity today, percentage-wise, than we did during the Great Depression. <laughs> Hard to believe. That's hard to believe, and that translates into, as well, into addiction. 71% of all credit card balances in this country have only the minimum monthly payment made. Americans spend on average $1.26 for every dollar earned. We save less than any other industrialized nation. Our addiction to our possessions has distorted all areas when it comes to finances. I heard about a guy who was on the street, you know, it was tight parking, and he opened his car door, and someone coming down through the street really quick took off the car door on his BMW, and he was losing his mind. And the police officer came over and said, uh, the guy screaming, my BMW, my BMW. And he said, what's wrong with the police officer? What's, what's wrong with you, man? You, left, you lost your arm as a part of whatever the, the car door came off. And you're worried about your car door and you lost your arm. And he said, my arm's gone, my Rolex, my Rolex. <laughs> that's, that's the truth of the matter. That's, that's, we think more about our finances. That's not a true story, of course. But it's clear that we, just like these brothers in this story, we have a problem with money. And here's where Jesus gives us the diagnosis. Let's listen to his parable here. He said, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man pr produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many, many years. Relax, eat, drink, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, 
This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, for what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. There is no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. One of Jesus' famous parables here. It's a hard one for many people to hear when you think what, about what Jesus said here. But I think Jesus identifies seven symptoms of brokenness in this story. First of all, you see the boasting. This man gloats about his wealth. Look at all of the stuff that he has. Wealth gives him a sense of confidence and self-worth, and he wants to show that. How does he show it? By building bigger barns. That's how he shows it. Greed is inherently competitive. So even if you don't have a lot of money, you can have this symptom. Do you ever catch yourself looking at others, comparing yourself to others, lamenting that maybe you or your kids do not have the same opportunities that they have? Does lack of money make you feel like a lesser person or deprived? If, that, if you have answered yes to any of those, you are experiencing brokenness. Brokenness because of your discontentment. Symptom number two we find in this story worry. If you are broken with money sickness, you're going to constantly worry about the future. Worry about the things that are out of your control. Look at in verse 22, he says, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? What's going to happen to my retirement? What's the future of this economy? What if I never make the kind of money that I can really afford nice things? These questions that we as Americans kind of ask ourselves. If you're the one that during this downturn, you're constantly looking at that 401k thinking, oh man, this is rough. This is really killing me. My 401k has lost like 25% of its value. You think the good old life consists of material things and you're worried about never having the money that can afford the things that you think will bring you happiness. You have that discontentment because of the worry. Symptom number three, you find comfort in money, the money comfort. See what this man does. He thought to himself, he's talking to himself, comforting himself, thinking that his his wealth is going to bring him safety. He's, he said, I'll have things stored up for myself for many years to come. Life is going to be great. When you have money brokenness, you take comfort in money. Money is what allows you, having that big bank account or having that buffer gives you the comfort to sleep at night. Do you only feel safe when your financial prospects 
are abundant. That's the heart that births to greed. You need possessions or wealth to feel secure in life. Symptom number four that we see is stinginess. In this man's multiplying prosperity, we don't find anywhere in this passage that he thinks about what money could do for others. Jesus never says that this man's first thought is, oh man, I've got so much more food now. Instead of building a bigger barn, I could give some of it away. I could give a lot of it away. There's all kinds of people in my agrarian culture society there in first century Judaism that, could, that need food, that are hungry. Never does Jesus even mention that giving was a part of his thought process. You know, but, you know, it, you know in, uh, as a religious Jew, this man surely paid his tithe at the temple, but generosity obviously was not a joy of his heart. It's not where his mind naturally went. He was most excited about living a life of luxury. You see, greedy people give out a sense of duty, but they have no joy about being generous. It hurts them. They may give, but it hurts. So they only give what they feel obligated to give, and then they go back to their life of building bigger barns. A symptom of brokenness when it comes to money is that it hurts when you give instead of giving you joy when you give. Number four, stinginess. Number five, overspending. When you have brokenness from greed, money becomes the medication for whatever negative emotion you feel. When you're sad, you think, oh, I'll just go buy something. How many of you guys have ever, this is a common thing with women, how many of you guys have ever gone to the store thinking, I just need some new clothes. It's been a rough week. I just got to have a new outfit. Or maybe guys, it's, I got to get a new pair of golf clubs. Or I got to get a new fishing pole. Or I got to do whatever it is. It's been a rough week. I've got to go do something. I go buy something for myself. When you're bored, I go get something new. You know, some of you kids there, I got to get a new video game. It's been a rough week at school. Get a new game. And you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is that's why debt is such a problem. Your savior is your credit card. An excessive amount of things is a sure sign of money sickness. A, a desire to want to buy something to give you comfort because you're having a tough time is a sign of brokenness and discontentment. Symptom number six, you can't turn it off. You have this incessant desire to pile up more and more. I'm sure when the guy in the story was a young man, he thought, man, if I could just ever have enough money to buy some nice clothes, man, that would be the life. And then he got that and thought, what it would be like one day to own my own farm. And he got that farm. He thought, man, what would it be like if one day if I could turn this farm into being the best farm, the most profitable farm, to have all of my own workers? And he got that, and he needed a bigger barn. And symptoms of money brokenness is never having enough. The famous phrase, how much money is too much, or how much do you want to earn? I think it was Nelson Rockefeller was asked that question. How much money do you want to earn? And he said, just one more dollar. There's one more dollar. It's never enough. And number seven, we see the symptom of, of brokenness is stockpiling. 
Money brokenness drives you to save excessive amounts. So we're not talking about a wise investment plan here. Scripture is very clear that we need to save. We need to be wise with our investment. That's biblical. We're talking about prioritizing savings over obedience to God. You fail to be radically generous along the way, but you, you can't give away your money because money is the entire basis of your security for your future. Verse 33 says, where Jesus tells them to give away their possessions, keep in mind that back then their wealth was wrapped up in their possessions. They had no bank accounts. They had no 401ks. They had really, you know, no vehicles. Their, 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 their possessions were their retirement plan. Possessions were what they left their children. And so in saying, give away your possessions, Jesus is telling them, be generous. Give. Because what happens when we're greedy people, this is the position of our heart. We want to close it off, keep it tight in. But when we give, we become open. We become a people who are in tune with the need of others instead of always looking at ourselves. So Jesus wraps up this passage, and he wraps it up in a way that really helps us see this repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. You know, Jesus tells us this uh, in this story. He says, you need to wake up to the brevity of life. This rich man's security is brought down by one sentence from God. He says in verse 20, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. This man went to sleep totally, totally confident about tomorrow, no doubt he was probably getting up to go play golf, go fishing. That night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, Scripture doesn't tell us, some little conjecture here, maybe his heart stopped. Psalms 90.12 says th- that thinking often about the brevity of life is the beginning of wisdom. It says there, it says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We think about every day being our last because we want to live that way. We want to live as though this is the last day on this earth that we can bring honor and glory to God. When that is at the thought of your mind, you live the top of your mind. You live life differently. Only by firmly embracing the brevity of life will you begin to order your life in the right way. One of the games I played as a kid, maybe you guys played this one. Anybody still play Monopoly? Yeah, my wife refuses to play with us, so she hates that game. So I, mean, it's, you know, I, I find there's a big dichotomy with my knob. Either you love it or you hate it. Uh, there's in some, but I, I remember as a kid, I always loved getting that last turn on the board. So you get the park place, the boardwalk, yeah, the Marvin Gardens, all of that good stuff as you're coming around. Because the fun part is you get towards the end of the game and someone comes around that side, you're like, I'm going to clean them out. I'm going to clean them out and I'm going to end their game right now. I think one of the biggest teaching moments for kids when it comes to monopoly with finances in life is at some point all of that money that you've collected in that game of monopoly and you could have all those $500 bills that you've collected at some point the game of monopoly will be over you do not keep that monopoly money what happens to it it goes back in the box 
it goes back in the box. All that money you've made, it makes no difference. In death, at death, it all goes back in the box. And then whose will those things be? Only one life to live. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What the Bible says about eternity is true. It's insanity to think that the point of your possessions is to adorn your life here and now. You know, imagine you guys see me at Target and I've got a basket full of items, full of stuff, you know, TVs and playing systems and just anything you can imagine that you'd want at Target, all kinds of clothes and like my basket's just piled high and you like look at me like, Pastor Robert, what are you doing pushing this cart around Target for? This is kind of crazy you have all these items in this cart at Target. Are you really buying all of this? This is some nice stuff. And you know, I'd be like, no, you know, I really don't have the money for all this. You, then why do you have it in your cart then, Pastor Robert? Why, why are you pushing around Target if you don't have the money for it? You know, I, and I said, you know, I just thought I'd carry it around the store with me for a little while. You look at me like, you going off your rocker? Are you insane? The truth of the matter is, friend, you cannot take any of your possessions with you after death. You're not leaving the store with them. It all goes back in the box. It all goes back on the shelf. So stop living this life as though eternity is not real. Because when we leave this life, what's done for Christ is all that will last. So we see here, wake up to the brevity of life. We also see is to be rich toward God. In verse 21, Jesus says that if you're going to seek to be rich somewhere, seek to be rich towards God. He says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that, that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. A wasted life is a life that focuses all of its efforts on the 70 or 80 years here, lives rich here, and takes little to nothing into eternity. That is a wasted life. Be rich toward God. Number three, rethink contentment. Jesus goes right to the heart of this money brokenness, and he says to his disciples in verse 22, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be discontent with your life. What, we, what you will eat, don't worry about it nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. He says that the, the, your problem is that you think money is the essence of life. You think that is life. And then he uses two analogies that correspond to this money brokenness. Two different t personality types. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn." And yet God takes care of them, does he not? Or how much more valuable are you than those birds? The birds don't worry about saving and God takes care of them. You're more valuable than birds. You are made in his image. And he says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is sown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O of little faith? I mean, you last forever, and he died to save you. You are way better than the grass. His point with these analogies is not that you should never save, that you should never spend money on clothes, simply that God is a more reliable source for both beauty, for security, for future, for significance than anything in this present life. When you think about the future, what gives you the sense of security? When you think about the future, what gives you the sense of security? If it's God, you'll be free and open-handed with what God has blessed you with, ready to be generous when God directs and not worried about it because God is your security and not your possessions. Stop thinking that contentment and happiness are found just around the corner at the next income level, at the new job, past graduation. Stop thinking security is at the next benchmark in your portfolio. Both significance and security are found best in the presence of being obedient to God. Believing the gospel and recovering and pursuing God's design. It says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added unto you. I think Jesus is saying, recover and pursue God's design by seeking God's kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. So let me ask you, are you happy right now? Do you feel secure? If not, you may have or may be experiencing brokenness because of your lack of contentment in Christ. And that's a relationship with God problem. Contentment is a present posture issue not a future acquisition one. I'm going to say that again. Contentment is a present posture issue of your heart and not a future acquisition one. So we must rethink our contentment in this life. and We must have a radical experience of grace. Verse 32, he says, Fear not, little flock, for if your father... For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom... I was always taught that you shouldn't mix metaphors, but here Jesus wonderfully mixes three. He says they constitute the trifecta of assurance. He says God is the watchful shepherd, intimately aware of where we are and what we are doing. He is the mighty king, controlling everything according to his good purposes in our life. And he is a tender father who delights in us to thrive. So can you trust or I should say, will you trust and obey him? Because he will take care of you. He died upon a cross for your sins. If he provided that for you when you were his enemy, lost and dead in sin, how much more will he supply for you as a child of God? Furthermore, shouldn't we experience with Jesus 
an ability to produce generosity in us. What did Jesus do with his stuff? He gave it away. He died this life with not one cent, not one possession to his name. He gave it all for the sake of the gospel. So the cure for brokenness from discontentment and greed is to repent and pursue the gospel message. To pursue contentment, not in what we try to obtain, but pursue our contentment in Christ. When we do that, we find our contentment and pleasure in Christ, which is God's original design. God's original design in our life. And that is the cure for brokenness and greed with money. So as we continue to walk through these church, I challenge you this next week, when you are faced with a struggle, with an issue, I want you to think, okay, what is broken in this situation? What is going on in my heart that I need to repent of and believe the gospel of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ? Let's pray.